at first I was a frequent flyer. I'd come in for a week, go back out, come in for three weeks to go back out, you know, and finally my sponsor said, just stay, damn it. several years at this point. Do you want to give us your sober date? Ten, June 23, 2010. So you'll be 13 in like next month. Yeah. Right around the corner. Yeah. Nice. Where's your home group? Do you have a home group? I call, I, it used to be New Beginnings. Mm-hmm. But now it's New Hope. The New Hope meeting, the Friday yeah, night? on Friday night. Due to economics and trying to get there. Yeah. So. Well, I think I met you at either New Hope or New Beginnings. New Hope. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, New Hope. You wanted some service work, so people kind of raised their eyes because I I said, here's the key. I'll meet you here on Friday. Yep. And, a... and everybody's like, what? <laughs> well, I said, if he's not here, do I have to call a locksmith? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you remember that? Mm-hmm. And Maybe. you showed up. I did show up. It helped me stay sober. Yeah. Making coffee, setting up chairs. Yeah. Well, there we did. Well, yeah. At first, though, when did you come in? October? I couldn't tell I always, you. I always think everybody's in the winter. I don't know why. I don't know. I think, well, he came in in the winter. No. I came in in July. So it's like, I don't know. But anyway, at first, we didn't have chairs to set up. We just had that little meeting room. Yeah. Remember? A couple house. of, yeah, a couple of. Well, we did set up a few chairs, but we had that couch and everything else. So yeah. it was nice. As far as things go, I was born a poor white child <laughs> in Denver, Colorado, and was born and raised there. Went to elementary, junior high, and high school. And I graduated from South High School, the first one in my close family to graduate from high school. So that was an accomplishment. And then I went, uh, well, I barely graduated. I did the, the normal things, cutting class going across the street to Wash Park, drinking beer, doing pot, doing acid. Acid even, huh? Yeah. I did a few hits of acid. I can remember one night I was all high on acid and I was getting in trouble for something. 
I was in the front room and my mom and dad were chewing me out about something. And all I could remember was there were spiders crawling up my legs <laughs> and, and, and double vision. And I was so scared, I didn't want to move and I didn't know why the hell I was getting chewed out. So it took about four or five more hours for me to come down and then figure out what it was. I, still, I don't remember what it was, but it was something. So that was the beginning of my illustrious alcoholism career. Because after that, I uh, started getting uh, drinking beer a lot. How old were you? Huh? How old were you? Wasn't old enough to buy it. Mm -hmm. I think I was like 14 or 15. Okay. And I would pull the old trick of standing out in front of the liquor store and giving the guy an extra five dollars if they would buy me a thing of booze. It's amazing how many people back then did it. Nowadays, nobody would do it. I won't even do it for somebody. It's like, no, uh-uh, you know? So I guess that part of me in sobriety has changed. I uh, don't want to see people heading down the wrong path, and I don't want to, I don't know what you call it, encourage them or? Enable maybe or? Enable. I don't want to enable them anymore. You probably don't want to be part of their story. Yeah. Uh, some old guy was standing out in front of the liquor store and he bought me beer. And his name was Joey. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I never tell anybody my last name. There's a lot of Joeys. Speaking of Joey, there was a two years, three years into my sobriety, there was a young kid, probably 2021, 20, who was going to the, the meetings, and uh, I guess he OD'd and died. So all of a sudden, my phone started blowing up. My sponsor's calling me. People from the meeting are calling me. They're saying, you died, you died. And I says, I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> so they got him and me confused. So about three boat. years sober, I died. Hmm. So... It's, uh, it's one of those where you need to check your sources before you start calling. So, yeah, it's been a change in sobriety. Um, trying to stay sober sometimes is, is hard because I'm a soft man. I'm not a hard man. And when people keep accusing me of being a homosexual, it gets on my nerves. <laughs> Just because I'm not, you know, macho man and, and try and act like all kinds of bullshit. Mm -hmm. It, you know, some days it just really gets on my nerves. They say one thing in front of your face and then you hear them behind your back. Yeah. And to me, that's not a very good program. So how did huh? So how did you get into the rooms? What brought you? How did I get into the rooms? Yes. Uh, well, I moved up here to take care of my mother, and so things were 
really bad on my own. So when I moved up here, I tried to find a meeting, and she wanted me to go to AA mm -hmm. so that I could stay sober. So I went to a few meetings, and then I found the Sober Solutions, and it was the first one I went to was over on Main Street. It was, uh, yeah, it was on Main Street, and it was a club. I forget what the name of the club. I think it's still the club now. I don't know what they call it. Uh, it's not the Triangle Club? Yeah, Triangle Club. It was the Triangle Club. And that was the first meeting I ever went to. And I didn't, I didn't uh, share or talk for about three weeks, four weeks. And then I shared, and that's when my sponsor told me, well, you finally joined the group. And I felt comfortable then, and I started sharing more of my story and what was going on with me. And I found my sponsor there, and, well, he found me because I kept going to the meetings and sharing and never asked anybody to be my sponsor. So he came up to me after a meeting and says, I'm your sponsor, temporary. We're going to meet here tomorrow night. Show up. So I was kind of like you. I showed up. Showed up. Showed up. And we started doing the step work. We read through the book and did the step work while we were going through the book, you know, doing all that. Person I had harmed and wanted to make amends to, but that was my fourth step. My fifth step was hard because I knew I could trust my sponsor, but there was that alcoholic in the back of me saying, you can't trust this guy. He's gonna say everything you tell him, and everybody's gonna know everything you tell him. And, you know, it took me a while to get up the courage to just go and do it. And it wasn't bad. Like I said, it's gonna be 13 years, and I haven't heard anything back. <laughs> about what I've told him, so. I think you're safe. Huh? I think you're safe. Yeah, yeah. At this point, what's the difference? You know, if they know, they know. So, so. what was it like before? Like, how did you hit your bottom? You know, what was your bottom like that brought you to AA? Leading oh. up to all of that. Oh, my bottom? Huh. I uh, was working for the government and... Back then, during those, I worked there 25 years. But during those 25 years, it was a culture of drinking. Everybody drank. Everybody had a culture of drinking. Every, uh, like, 4th of July or Christmas, the, uh, they would have a, a Christmas party, and the booze would be on the boss. And you could drink as much as you wanted. There was no one drink, two drinks. So everybody would go and get shit-faced. And I remember 
moving on up in the ranks, I started going out with the big boys and we would go out every Friday night to the bar and get drunk. I mean, drunk. I'm surprised that I even drove home. But I was in with the big boys. So it really didn't matter if I showed up drunk because they were hung over too. And it was just no big deal to go to work drunk. Until towards the end, um, I was on my third strike. Um, I'd been through two rehabs, okay, one 30-day and one 15-day, just to dry you out. I call them spin dries. They just, you know, get the booze out of you, and that's it. You don't go to AA or anything. They just send you back to work. So it lasted about a month and a half, and then I started drinking again, and... By this time, the culture had shifted to no drinking. At Christmas parties, there was no drinking. There was, you know, nothing as far as booze was concerned. So, oh, after that, I got drunk every night again. I drank a pint every night. And I thought I was being fine, nobody could smell me or anything else. So uh, when I got a chance to retire, they retired, they had a drawdown, which meant I could apply for an early retirement, which I did, and I got approved for the early retirement. And so I was gonna go and check out and do all that stuff and all my bosses were like, yeah, we knew you was an alcoholic. We could smell you every morning. And I'm like, I took a shower and brushed my teeth. <laughs> She's like, I lived with an alcoholic for 40 years. I know you were drunk. And I'm like, oh shit. Here I thought I was getting by with something. And I wasn't. But I did get a chance to retire. So if I look back on it, my higher power was if with me back then to let me fit in the window to get an early retirement. If I didn't fit in the window, I would have been fired. Mm. So, and it's hard to get fired from the federal government, but I was on my third strike to get fired. So that's how that happened to um, and then once I got retired, you know, it's Katie barred the door. I had no place to go. I had nowhere to be, you know, that I had to be. So it was like I was on a Monday morning. It was another little thing that happened. Monday morning, about 8 o'clock, exactly when the liquor store opened, I was in the liquor store getting me a, liter and a half or whatever you call it, a handle. Mm -hmm. And the clerk says, you know, you don't have to do that. I said, well, what? He says, you don't have to drink if you don't want to. And he gave me a card that said something about AA. And he was in the liquor store, he was the clerk. Mm. And so I'm like, well, I don't know, but when you're 
that bad off and got the shakes mm-hmm. and puking and all that good stuff. All you can, all I could think about was getting me some booze in me so I could straighten up a little bit. And, you know, that went on for a couple of years and that's when I moved up here to take care of my mom and get sober because I was uh, having the, I was having pancreas attacks or pancreatitis. Yeah. Yeah, I had that twice. And uh, I went to the doctor, my usual doctor, and he fired me. He gave me a letter and said, I couldn't come back there for any reason except for an emergency within 30 days. And I asked him why, and he said, I'm a doctor, asshole. I know you've been drinking. I can tell your liver tests. So what I did after that is I never went to another doctor for five years. Just kept drinking and having my diabetes and my pancreas attacks, but I didn't go to the doctor for them anymore. I knew what to do. You just drank a lot of water and ate jello and stuff to give it a chance to rest. But that pain is real. And so I got tired of the pain too, I guess, when I went in there to uh, the Triangle Club because that's when I opened up and started in the program. And I started doing service work right off the get-go. My my sponsor told me, you're gonna make coffee and you're gonna um, greet the people. Because I didn't want to greet no people. But that was back then when we had a 45 cup percolator so I had to get there an hour before the meeting just to get the coffee going so I was there when people came in so it gave me a chance to get to know people and uh, serve them coffee but he told me that my sponsor told me first person that complains about your coffee you tell him, thank you, you're the copy person. <laughs> so that was good. But I did copy for about a year and a half. And then I did the meetings. I chaired the meetings for another two years every night because it was uh, Sober Solutions was every night of the week. So I did two years worth of it. And then I decided it was time to let other people have a chance to to do it and see how it helps them. So I kind of backed off from doing it daily. But if uh, people didn't show up, I would go ahead and do it like Tuesday. But I couldn't... Uh, at this point, I couldn't breathe long enough to do it. So 
but I love doing service work. It's great. I mean, it makes me feel good, gets me out of the house early, and lets me help others. So, um, yeah, as far as my sobriety goes, it's been pretty good. Like I said, doing service work and everything else, but getting there was bad. I mean, it was terrible. And I was a, at first I was a frequent flyer. I'd come in for a week, go back out, come in for three weeks to go back out, you know. And finally my sponsor said, just stay, damn it. And so I did. Mm -hmm. So, and it started getting better. But I don't recommend being a frequent flyer to anybody. If you're in, stay in. If you're back, stay back. You know, try your best to do it. I mean, I can't tell anybody not to go back out. What That's, really made you stay in? Uh, was it service work or was it the service work? The service work and my higher power. Yeah. When I was getting squirrely, I had some thing to talk to. I'd say, you know, I'm feeling like shit, and I want to go back out and drink. And then all of a sudden, somebody from the program would call me and say, "Hi, how are you doing?" And I'm like. How'd they know I was going to go drink? <laughs> or I was going to go to the liquor store, and on the way to the liquor store, somebody from the program is coming out of the uh, grocery store. So that stopped that, you know, and it's just like too many little miracles like that. Yeah. It just kept going. And so I finally got to the point where the little... Uh, feelings of wanting to drink just went away. I have no desire to drink now at all. It's just like, what for? You know, I'm just going to get sick and not feel good and, you know, mess up my life again. So I don't want to do it. I mean, I could very easily, but right now at this point, I have no desire. Just like I have no desire to smoke again. For I smoked for 40 years. It took a double bypass and a little bit of COPD to take that away. So that was even harder than uh, quitting drinking. And this is part of the story that I've never told anybody um, when I was stationed in Europe in the army, we could get black heart, black tar, heroin, and heroin for twenty bucks for a little for a brick. And while I was over there, I did between a hundred and two hundred dollar a day worth of heroin and 
that's a lot. And when I got back, when I left there, I've never touched it, never thought about it, never even wanted to do it. Why? I don't know. That's part of my higher power, I guess. He didn't want me doing heroin. He said, go drink, I guess. But that's weird. I've never even had the urge. How did you get introduced to heroin? Got drunk. Yeah? Yeah, got drunk, and some guys were smoking it, and I was drunk, and I said, oh, well, let me try it. And first time, it didn't take long. I mean, I felt like, oh, man, this is good. I like this, mm. and that's all it took. So after that, yeah, about two years, and <laughs> this, 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 <laughs> this is a funny anecdote. I was doing it, and they made me the drug and alcohol specialist for the battalion. I was the one that did the piss tests and, and did all that to the other guys. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's irony. Yeah. <laughs> I never got caught, let's put it that way. I could have, but I just never did. So that's, that's part of leading up to all this crap that I went through. So. <laughs> I, uh, I'm getting very short of breath, so I'm going to end this with thanks to everybody who's been a part of my sobriety, and who's helped me along, especially my sponsor, so thank you. Thanks, Joey, for being on the Recovery Edge podcast. I really appreciate you. Uh, Joey was one of the guys who first got me into some service work. Like he had said, you know, gave me the key to make coffee, set up chairs at the New Hope meeting. Um, big part of my recovery. And uh, I'll always appreciate Joey. Um, thank you, listeners, for checking out the podcast. You can uh, find us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, um, wherever you like to check out your podcast, share us with a friend. If you know somebody who'd like to share their story, reach out to me. I'm at uh, recoveryedge2020 at gmail.com. And that'll do it for this week. We'll see you next time.